Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Robert Siegel has more than 20 years' experience in the counseling and representation of producers, writers, directors, distribution companies, and foreign sales agents concerning development, production, marketing, distribution, and exploitation of fiction and nonfiction film, television, publishing, and new media projects. His clients' projects have appeared theatrically and on network syndicated public and cable television and have earned Academy Award and Emmy nominations and awards and prizes at major film festivals. And Carol, I understand that Robert is a donor to your Dean Film Grant. Yes, Robert fully supports From the Heart with a generous donation of his fees. And we thank you for joining us, Robert. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, today I want us to cover what's in most contracts and what filmmakers specifically should be looking for. And then let's get into distribution contracts and discuss the pitfalls that filmmakers should be aware of. And so let's start, Robert, with what's in most contracts and what you should immediately be looking for. Well, again, if if you're producing the film, you know, there, you have to have certain agreements like basically cast and crew memos, releases, you know, those type, you know, those type of things as well as a chain of title if it's a screenplay involved, etc. and that's the whole the whole area of like production council work, you know, which we you know, we can discuss um, but uh, I know we were going to talk about distribution, and ironically, for most um, producers, um, the distribution is something that comes, you know, later in, in the in the in the process. It's very rarely, unless you you know you're able to like pre-sell rights, which is really really difficult because you have to level a talent or a certain you know subject matter that, that has a certain marketability. So frequently, it will be, um, you know, later in the in the process, um, such as you know when you have a, you know a rough cut or or a fine cut or something like that. But regardless, it's the, the same issues are, you know, we have to address. And as I said, it's basically getting everyone who works on the film or participates. There should be some type of agreement where everything they're doing is a work for hire owned by the production company. Or, or the rights have been assigned, just in case it doesn't clearly constitute a work for hire. And of course, you know the location agreements, material releases, if you're using, and of course, um, the you know if you're using uh, music, you know composer agreement. If it's any you know pre-existing music or the compo- you know the composer is not doing it as a work for hire then basically you know he, they're granting the rights to use it in the motion picture in promotion advertising along those lines uh, and obviously those are the things that have to be taken care of so earlier in the process you know that can be early in the process the better off a lot of times it'll be um 
you know, I'll, I'll talk to people where they have a distribution deal, and then we have to kind of reverse engineer it <laughs> to the extent that we can. Um, you know, basically what agreements are there, and then you have to kind of play catch-up, which is always difficult where everybody has flown to the four corners, you know, the earth. So, um you know, so uh, the earlier, the earlier, the better. And, uh, you know, it's like I know people don't like going to the dentist or going to the lawyer, but, you know, there's a reason for it. <laughs> and, uh, okay. you know, and I think so I think you... I'm a little less painful than the dentist. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. Well, let's let's uh, get very clear here. So, in other words, every person who works on the film has to have a contract. Yes, yeah, some type of contract. It may be a release. It may be a cast. Maybe a deal memo. And but that yeah, that has to really they sh- it should be papered as much as possible. And you know, people don't realize like if you're using somebody's apartment, say, you know, not not only you know you need to get permission, but the question is, who do you, from whom do you have to get the permission? I mean, is it is it really the, the tenant or is it really the landlord who actually owns the building? And basically, the tenant will make a deal, and the landlord will show up and say, hey. You have to make a deal with me, not with the tenant. So mm-hmm. you know, those issues, you know, can come up as as well. So that's why it's kind of like part of, you know, you're starting a business, regardless of whether it's a film or, or anything like that. You just have to kind of think of it in those terms. And I know the budgets may be very low, but these principles are the same whether you're doing a $50,000 film, a $500,000 film, or, you know, to a $5 million film. You know, but obviously there are more issues frequently when the numbers are higher, but it's the same principles. Yes, uh, and in, with documentaries, it's very important. Uh, someone told me that when they sold their film to Discovery, that every that they went over the film and at every frame, when somebody put their foot in the frame and was in the film, they had to have a release form for that person. Mm-hmm. Yes, very true. I mean, whether it's it's a National Geographic or Discovery or HBO, you know, basically, what happens is if they're not if they're not producing the film themselves, and and they're, and they're you know they're trying to secure the rights to your project, they're going to have to rely on you as the producer or filmmaker to basically have done this work and. You know, and basically, and that you have to kind of show that you have done those work because at the end of the day, all these companies, all these licensees are going to want Arizona omission insurance. They want an insurance in case, provided you've cleared everything that you, you know, required to clear. Um, that basically, if somebody brings, you know, a third party comes in with a claim, that you have insurance that can address it the same way like oh, if you get into a car accident, that type of thing, God forbid. So mm-hmm. that's part and parcel of, of it. And in order to really get that type of insurance, you have to work with an attorney and you have to basically clear, you know, basically get all the permissions. And as I say, music is really, you know, somewhat problematical. I mean, yes, as a composer, you can make a deal. It's when you start wanting to use certain uh, compositions and certain recordings and they have to, you know, they have to be licensed. Sometimes you get a music supervisor who basically, you know, knows how to 
do the research and track it down. And, and I always tell people, you know, my job basically is I'll provide you with the agreement. I'll, I'll review the agreement, you know, and help you negotiate it. But I'm not going to chase down, you know, bids or offers of how much it's going to cost because it's not a very productive way for, my, for me to use the time. You should have somebody who's really going to do all the follow-ups and all that. Uh, so that's uh, that's something to, to keep in mind. Okay. All right, so if, if your filmmaker has um, an attorney to start with, then the, would the attorney give him most of these uh, contracts to use? Well, especially for a documentary, I mean, usually there are releases and material, personal releases, material releases, and there's, um, you know, and then and then they'll, there's location releases, and again, you know, they're 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 accessible, but you know, you know, people go onto the internet and they try to find everything, and you have to remember that each everything is a little bit facts and circumstances. Everybody got to tailor the agreement somewhat. And it's not basically my providing contracts and forms. That's really what the work is. It's really giving advice and also, you know, not just advice, but also helping to kind of, you know, guide through the process as much as I can. And that's really that's based on, you know, knowledge and experience. And that's really why I'm being, you know, hopefully I'm being retained. So, you know, and of course, if you know, I can provide whatever that is, but that's only you know a component of it. Obviously, in a fiction feature, there's a lot more negotiation for like cast and so forth. Unless everybody's most favored nations, everybody gets the same deal. But even then, you know, uh, people don't realize that when you don't have money to fight over because everyone's getting the same thing, you fight over other things, <laughs> such as you know, such as you know, basically. Um, as a coach of first class, you know, if you're in SAG, you have to really, it has to all be first class unless it's ultra, it's ultra low. And, and then, you know, basically, as long as everybody gets the same treatment, I mean, I think it's all sorts of things. So, um, you know, that's part and parcel. The documentary is a little more streamlined, but, you know, it's the same. At the end of the day, you still need your documentation just to get your errors and omission insurance and uh, so that basically, uh, you know, the, the network or the licensee or the, you know, cable company or what, or what have you or the educational distributor, they're all going to feel like a sense of relief that, you know, at least it's been covered uh, because you, you, started, you did the work that led to that. So that's well, you do errors and omissions uh, work yourself, don't you? You review well, I, well, I'm time. not an insurance company. I'm not an underwriter. But what I do is, and, and this is really more for documentaries and less so for fiction. There'll be times where rights, you know, there'll be an issue about getting rights to certain, you know, certain material, pre-existing material, and if it's used in a certain manner. There is a defense to copyright infringement called fair use, and you know the idea is you, you didn't get permission, but you think that because you follow a certain set of guidelines that you're using it not to enhance the production, but because it's a means to illustrate something that's being commented or critiqued upon or an example to be shown. I mean, it's it's very narrow, and there is you know there are you know factors to consider. 
you can basically, and again, it's a little less difficult, less difficult for documentaries than it is for fiction, where everything basically, it's hard to talk about commenting and critiquing in a fiction project. It'll happen, but it's less so. Um, and so basically, there'll be a series of, of you know, of uses and have you, you know, basically if you haven't been able to clear it and it fits certain parameters, it's fair use and there's an opinion and you explain why basically this defense of fair use because you're commenting, critiquing, you're not taking too much, you're basically, you know, uh, you're not diluting the, you know, the material that you're, that you're using, you're using it for some, quote, transformative purpose. It isn't just to put it in because it's great production value. There's a purpose for it that is, you know, falls within the parameters of fair use. Like, uh, for, you know, one project, um, which obviously, you know, basically won, won the grant was the brainwashing of my dad, which is really obviously about, um, uh, the filmmaker Jensenko's father, who was, who became a very, very arch conservative person. And he used to watch a lot of TV and listen to a lot of right wing radio <laughs> and, right. you know, and, and, and all watch Fox news and we can't go to Fox Yes, her permission because it's, it's going to be we were showing how people are being you know you know basically they're 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 being you know their their mentality is being manipulated possibly um and there or certain arguments are being used to draw you into the fox news world you know the fox friends and friends world for whatever reason and so we couldn't do that, so we had to find a reason why is it being used. It illustrates a certain concept or tactic that, you know, basically the conservative party frequently, or right wing, and also left wing in certain cases, uses for the purposes of, you know, swaying people's opinion. Right. So, so that's, you know, that, that was like, you know, basically one one example of of that, and uh and then so just, you found something that was short enough and and concise enough, and it fit the what you were saying, and so it was acceptable as fair use. Correct. Yeah, because basically, and I give the opinion to the underwriter of the insurance company. They have their attorneys, and if there's any issues, you know, we'll address it. Usually, you know, so knock wood, usually no issues really come up. Uh, and uh, because it's been addressed in the fair use opinion. Uh, uh-huh. So, you know, again, years ago, you know, the idea of fair use was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's an edu- educational concept more, you know, than actually being used. And then basically there were these guidelines from American University for documentaries about how they could be used. And basically it, it, it would, you know, because you had a choice if you were a documentarian, you either had to pay for it or you had to strip it out of the, out of the, out of the project. And here it is a little more f- uh, flexibility because of these guidelines, these best practices. Right. Well, this is very important that uh, that you know all this. I think this is brilliant because uh, so many times people get in big trouble over that. And that uh, sometimes, you know, they they hear, uh, they think they're safe. I heard about one woman who had uh, was ready to sell her documentary film, and she found that um, there was a song being played as a um, ringtone on a telephone, cell phone, 
in and when she was filming and she had to go back and buy the rights to that music License, to get yes. a release. And that cost her almost as much as it did to make the film. Well, uh, hopefully it wouldn't have been. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll give you an example. Like Mad Hot Ballroom, there's a ringtone of Gonna Fly Now from Rocky. And and this, and this is, it's an important point because if the distributor had been, you know, some mom and pop small boutique company, you know, there could have been an argument that, you know, the the documentarian didn't insert Gonna Fly Now into the film. It, you know, in, it, in the documentary, it was something that organically appeared and we couldn't yes. strip it out or anything like that. However, when the deal was made for Mad Hot Ballroom, it, Paramount Pictures picked it up. You know, which is kind of like a variation when we were talking about National Geographic and HBO. When you you have, you're dealing with these corporations, you know they you know they they want to make sure that everything has been kind of you know tied down as much as possible, and they, a decision had to be made uh, that you know basically to negotiate and get the license for it because. It was really Paramount was going to be the deep pocket. It wasn't going to be the the documentarian. Uh-huh. So, yeah, and the, actually there are projects and- like uh, one project where we did have um, a couple, you know, a couple of fair use cases, but we went to like say Netflix, and Netflix was like a studio, and it became, you know, they had a question, we had to address it, and if it couldn't be addressed, we had to figure out whether to deal with it or. Or um, you know, take it out, or whether or not we have to go back and negotiate again. So, the larger companies—I mean, all companies—basically should be following the same path. But as I say, the deeper pockets tend to be a little bit more reluctant, you know, for obvious reasons. Absolutely, I understand that. Well, all right. Now, see, Robert. You know, I consider myself at the hub of the wheel because I talk to filmmakers daily. They call me for advice and they know I'm available to talk to them and particularly when they get in the tight spot or they just need someone to talk to. And the calls I get the most are saying I signed with the distributor. Uh, There's three problems I hear the most. And so the first one um, that, that is that they call and say, listen, I signed with this distributor, was so excited, but it's been one year, and I don't have a penny coming in. And um, so I'm asking you if it's possible that when you are signing a distributor contract that you put in a clause that says that if X dollars have not come in within one year, then this contract is null and void and all rights revert to the filmmaker. And then the filmmaker has a, the has an opening to get rid of this uh, company if they so choose. Is that possible? It is possible. But, again, a lot of times you'll hear, like, best practices put in this what is called a milestone or a performance clause if the distributor or the sales agent doesn't generate a certain amount of revenue you know, or doesn't release, you know, uh, distribute, doesn't, doesn't come into the marketplace within a certain period of time, but, but usually an amount of money, and then you have to figure out the amount, and you have to realize that this isn't in a vacuum, that basically um, you've made a deal with a distributor or a sales agent, and I'll answer your question, but before you even get to that point, it's like, even whether you have one sales agent or distributor, or you have a 
series of them, the same process occurs. I mean, you have to pick the best deal, and maybe there's only one, and maybe it's better not to take any, but we'll get to that in a moment. That, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, um, you know, the idea is it's like, you know, buying a car, buying a house, where you, uh, you know, you go and you find out, you know, what the neighbors think of the area, which in this case is really, um, you know, other, you know, other filmmakers, producers, documentarians have dealt with, you know, uh, with them, and you can check that obviously on the website, it's IMDb Pro. It's, and you know, the idea, and a lot of times, you know, the distributor or sales agent will give you the names, and it's like, oh, they're giving you the names, and you know, it's not going to be a bad <laughs> review, you know, from the from the from the producer, but at least you have somebody who had a good experience with them, and you know, you hopefully you can get more than one, you know, two, three, there's no magic number, and you can, you know, call and do a certain sense of due diligence, whether or not, you know, you get the number from the distributor or sales agent, or you, you know, hunt around for it on your own, <laughs> you know, on the web or what have you, and uh, so you get a sense, and again, find out when, you know, maybe a company that this is their first year, so they really haven't gotten a accounting statement. So, you know, basically they're still kind of in the early stages of their relationship with their sales agent or distributor. So try to find people that have more than one year they've dealt with that distributor or a sales agent. And, yes. um, and then, you know, obviously there's negotiation of the distribution agreement, but to take your point about putting in a performance clause or milestone, um, the idea, you know, being that if it doesn't generate a certain amount of money, you have to, you have to realize the distributor is going to say, well, you know, we, we paid you in advance or minimum guarantee, you know, that, you know, you know, we pay you the advance, we don't want you to leave without giving us a chance to basically uh, try to make our money back if we can. So, um, I mean, so that's one factor if, it, if there is a an advance or a minimum guarantee, or basically we we paid for the cost of certain deliverables, you know, like we paid for the E and O insurance, or we paid for some type of, you know, you know, basically like closed caption, or we or we did this or that, and, and maybe it was on top of or instead of it being an advance or a minimum guarantee, we need to get back that money. So, you know, the more they basically expended, the harder it is to leave, you know, free and clear, unless they're saying, well, you got to give us a certain amount of time to get our money back, or, you know, you make a new deal and you get paid money, you got to pay us, so that we're not out of pocket as a, you know, as a distributor or a sales agent, so, right. uh, you well, know, in a, yes. you know, the idea would be, yeah, what, what every producer or documentarian wants to have is free and clear, you know, if they don't hit the hit their milestone, but sometimes, you know, it's not as as clear as that. And at, at the end of the day, it's whether, you know, if they say, well, we don't give up, you know, milestones or anything like that. The market is so volatile that we we'd only be guessing. So you have to decide whether or not you can live with one or without one. And if you only have one deal, then you have to really look at the deal and say. You know, do I really want to take the deal? And you know, sometimes I know it's so tempting to take the deal because it's the bird in the hand. But your your bird may be very old, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, basically, and uh, so so that's you know, so that you know, that's you know, that's something to bear bear in mind that 
um, it's, you know, uh, at least it's out there. I mean, as I say, it's not a science, you know, and it's dealing with certain people and their relationships. But you can have the best contract in the world. If you've got some person who isn't going to pay you, they're not going to pay statements to you periodically, you can have the best contract in the world. It's only as good as the people that are there. Oh, oh, is that true? I, I know. I've heard those stories. It's fascinating. Well, let's look at, for the moment, uh, not take any deal. You, you mentioned that's a possibility, too. And now with Tug, I like Tug and I like Gather.tv. I think they're both wonderful places where you can distribute your film, but you have to, uh, it's work. It's more work for you, but you're mm-hmm. in charge. It's an option that years ago you really never had, you know, uh, as a general rule. But basically, you can, you know, in a way, like you split your rights and you slice it and dice your rights to go to different companies that are very good for like education. Like I know Tug does education, or I have a client has women make movies that they're doing. It's going to be for educational purposes and not for consumer. Uh, necessarily, but you can separate out the rights, and of course, the idea is it going to be a, you know, is it going to be a worldwide rights deal, or is it just basically going to be the U.S. or North America, which is usually U.S. and Canada and territories, and then the rest of the world? Because uh, frequently, when you get like a producer's rep, you know, what they'll do is they'll make the deal for the domestic part of it, which we, we include North America often unless the Canadian rights are handled separately. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and then there's the rest of the world. And a lot of times when you have a rep, rather, they're not going to go and make the deal for German TV. Some will. But some, a lot of them, you know, that's not what they do. You need a sales agent and not a producer's rep. You know, a sales agent handling all the foreign rights, and they handle, like, TV and VOD and all of that. So it may just be, you know, the domestic, including Canada, we'll say, for North America, and it's going to also be the rest of the world. And a lot of times the producer rep, or you'll find a a sales agent that will handle the rest of the world. And one of the reasons that this is good is that, you know, if it's all worldwide, there's something called cross-collateralization where you can take the money you earn, like from foreign or domestic and and vice versa, and use it to offset expenses that are incurred in foreign and or, or domestic. So basically, unless you're getting like an advance or some sort of reasons to go with this company on a worldwide basis, you, you really try to parse out your rights accordingly. Yes, that makes a lot of sense because you these are very expensive things, your deliverables that you mentioned, your closed caption, your E&O, your packaging, all of those. And filmmakers should know what an average cost is for each of those, and I think that should be included in their contract with the distributor so they don't get zonked at the end with, with horrendous or bills that are twice what it should have been. Well, again, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they, they look at the contract and, and they don't realize there's a, there's a section called delivery schedule that's attached to it. And a lot of, you know, a lot of things were not thought of or weren't paid for or going to have to or required. And that's why usually if when people put together their budgets, well, one of the things that becomes really problematic is they don't put enough money into delivery. 
You know, uh-huh. and, and you know, it's like, oh yeah, we made the movie and we're ready to take it to a festival, and that's great. But you know, if I, what happens if there's you know interest? You know, and they're going to give you a delivery schedule where, you know, if you don't provide all of this, you know, we don't start the deal, we don't pay the advance or the minimum guarantee, or, or we, or maybe we can't even make a deal. So, you know, and they should. What should they have as a, uh, an average? What fifteen thousand, twenty thousand? Well, I mean, in a way, what what the what a producer or documentarian or what have you, um, what they should do is they should really find if they find a sample agreement or you know or or something that's comparable, and then you take and then you look at the delivery schedule will give you a rough idea, you know. Yes. Um, you know, to to deal with that, or you're dealing with a, you know, if you're dealing with a rep or, you know, often attorney, you'll you'll get one, you know, because again, a lot of these delivery schedules are very similar, and a lot of them, well, a lot of them, they're all, all the bells and whistles because they're, you know, deep pocket distributors or sales agents. So, um, and now because of the internet and because of all, you know, like the classes you know, and seminars and webinars and all of that, you know, getting this information has become, you know, I won't say easier, but less difficult, you know, in order to do that. And there are a lot of resources, I mean, just because of the Internet and because it may not be on the Internet, but there'll be, you know, where you can get that information. And like, you know, for documentaries, there's the International, there's the International Documentary Association, or, you know, the various, like, film independent IFP. There are a lot of organizations, you know, so there are a lot of resources that are out there that were not there, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago or uh-huh. more. Uh-huh. So that's, and again, there's that's a lot good. of, there is a lot of community, you know, I mean, oh, I, I mean, that's why there are a lot of these organizations that, uh, you know, you can basically, uh you know, you join and and you have the resources and you have members and other people. You know, like IFP and some others. Uh, as I say here on the West Coast, it's really film independent, but it's the same concept. Um, to you know, to do all that. Yeah. Yes. So, mm-hmm. Well, okay, Robert. Well, let's go to the second thing that I hear a lot is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the first thing they should do is investigate the distributor, no matter how big they are. When you find someone that says, um, I can't discuss that, you know, if you call someone and say, would you give me your reference for the ABC distributor, and they say, oh, sorry, I can't discuss it, then you must say, did you sign a a confidentiality agreement? And if they say yes, I say don't use that distributor because – you want to find filmmakers that say they're very happy and they'll give you a good review. And when someone's had to sign an NDA, they have had major problems, major complaints usually, and uh, and they had to settle things between them, and the filmmaker was told that they cannot talk about it. Well, yeah, frequently this, you know, this kind of, yeah, you know, the idea is that everything is very is confidential, and uh, it, it can be a problem. But again, if if this particular distributor or sales agent it has a confidentiality provision in there, you know, it's like this is this is not the first time this issue has come up. Probably, so uh, I think at the at the end of the day, 
not everybody has the confidentiality provision, and a lot of you know a lot of people. Yeah, this reminds me of those confidentiality agreements with Harvey Weinstein and all of that, you yes. know, with the sexual harassment. I mean, same concept. It's like, you know, the idea is, well, why'd you sign it? It's because we settled. You, we got money. And it's an interesting point that now that these confidentiality agreements and under these circumstances, I know it's off topic, but are not being uh, signed or may not be enforced, you know, people are not going to be able to ask for money. You know, and a lot of a lot of people under those circumstances, as we're seeing, don't basically lodge complaints and go and deal with the situation because of money. Uh, it's really because they want to get the story out. And, that's the whole thing with Me Too and Time's Up, but I know I've kind of gone off on a tangent, but it's it's an interesting yes. time to to deal with the situation, and it's really pervasive, not just in media, but across the board. But at any rate, um, uh, if they're, you know, again, not everybody basically has the confidentiality provision, and, you know, so um, that's that's something to, you know, to, to consider. Um, when you know, well, sometimes when they get into so many problems. The filmmakers run into so many problems with uh, their distributor that, in order to that, they have to uh, either go or get an, a ten, fifteen thousand dollars and hire an attorney and go mm-hmm. after the money. And most of these filmmakers don't have that kind of money to go to to fight a distributor, so they settled for a small amount, and that's when they signed the NDA, so they can't talk about what a terrible experience they had. But the the other thing I often see is that the distributor sometimes sells the film and doesn't tell the filmmaker. So the filmmaker has no idea they sold it, but the distributor is playing with the money and doing whatever they want with it. So the next thing I wonder, is there a way that they can, you can say in your contracts that any sale should be reported within 30 days. Uh, well, it could, be, it could be 30 days or it could be on a quarterly basis maybe because uh-huh. they have so many titles that to do 30 days for all of them would just – it would be a, kind of a drain on, on you know, on the, you know, on on the infrastructure or the back room um, okay. administration. But you know, hopefully it'll be quarterly, and that's why it's important to have accounting statements, and not just accounting statements, but statements that have a, a sufficient breakdown about by you know deal by uh, you know what rights, what amount, et cetera. So that you, you you do get a you know kind of you know a, in the statement you get a bird's eye view of what what deals have been made during that period of time that that accounting period and also a right to basically audit the books and um you know so right to, to audit the books. the books terrific that would be exactly what you want yeah, I mean, uh, very rarely, um, anyone who really objects to having their books examined on a reasonable basis, and then we, they're saying like, oh, you can only make, you know, you know, what, you know, ask for one examination per year, or sometimes there's a little statute of limitations in there saying if you don't bring a claim within, say, two years from when the statement was received by you, the clock shouldn't start till you got the statement. Um, and the payment, hopefully, um, if they're, you know, if you are entitled to the payment, um, 
basically, yeah, let's say two years or three years or five, whatever, or basically you're time barred because they don't want you after five years to go back to year one. You know, yes, right. It's, right. You know, no. Well, filmmakers uh, should take advantage, even if they do it themselves without a, a CPA, even if they go look at the books to see exactly what went on because it's not that hard to do. And then if they see a problem, they could take a, an accountant in with them. See, again, it depends on who you're dealing with. You know, you're dealing with you know, a larger entity, a more established entity, frequently they'll say, Well, you know, we don't want you know, we don't want your you know, your your tax accountant <laughs> your tax you know, your bookkeeper looking at our books who has no idea of, of how to look at books concerning motion pictures and television. So if you're gonna look for somebody, look for somebody who has a certain amount of experience in that area for a certain amount of time. And they're gonna say, you know, it's not gonna be a fishing expedition, you have to have somebody who really kn- knows what they're looking for, <laughs> even exactly. if they, whether or not they find it. So sometimes they'll say, <laughs> you know, having an account, you know, basically an accountant with at least 10 years' experience. Um, or sometimes it says, oh, it's one we have to approve. And, you know, it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, that's a, you know, accountant's an accountant. And if they have sufficient experience, you know, they have a, you have a, that type of situation. And I had a real wrinkle, and I won't say the company, obviously, where basically they made the, the, the auditor sign a non-disclosure agreement where unless there was a reason for the audit, that the auditor would not disclose it to the producer. And I said, <laughs> I said you know, people, people who pay for audits don't get to see them have rocks in head, uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so we said we'll we'll, we'll sign a, a, a confidentiality provision. We won't re- reveal it, but you know, you know, you you pay for the audit, you get to see the results of the audit, and we'll of keep course. our mouth shut. It was like, oh, oh that's, our, that's our standard one. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, so that, that was an interesting wrinkle. But they're they're good people. Uh, okay. They were willing to. Hmm? They Me were Carol? good people. I'm glad to hear that. Well, what, let me go to this. What are the things that you can do to prevent distributors from sitting on your film and not making any money for you? Well, again, what people don't realize, being being either a bad distributor or sales agent or just you may be a good sales agent or distributor, but just somehow you don't have a handle on, you know, a, a producer, a documentarian, or what have you, their, their title and they, they're not able to do it, or to handle so many titles, it's like, you know, it's just tonnage after a while. Um, again, the the idea is, yes, if you can get the performance, and, you know, and set a reasonable, you know, standard, and obviously allow for, like, you know, at least the first year, because, you know, it's going to go to various markets, like Cannes and, and Mesa and so forth, and pick, you know, try to pick a number that's, Low, but maybe reasonable, and something else will be negotiated um, in order to to do that, and and then realize if for some reason you know the, the distributor or sales agent doesn't hit the number, you know the way off, very low. Well, I mean, then what happens, and under what conditions can you walk away from the deal? And that you know that has to you know be in the agreement, 
as as well. I know people don't want That's, to think in those terms, but no, no, but they should be thinking of those terms. That's exactly yes. what I, I want them to be able to do is to be able to walk away. So putting a clause in there to get them out of it, walking away is the key when you've got to have that somewhere. Yeah, or or basically you got to be willing to walk away from the deal if you if you're not going to have it. You know, and, and that's only something that's something only you, that only the producer can really decide upon. You know, um, you know, what point do you just you know just you know walk away from the table and not you know not get involved? And I know everyone's been working so hard on the, producing the project, and this is the whole next phase, getting it out into the marketplace. So, yeah, I mean, basically, the, again, the idea is to be able to f- know and spot the issues and try to address it. And either you will address it with a distributor or sales agent, or they're going to say no, and then you have to do, make a calculated assessment about, you know, should I go with this particular party? Exactly. That's the key thing. And don't be afraid to say no in today's world. You have a lot of options. And I think you need to know all those options before you even get in the room with the distributor because that would give you more power. Uh, and you might have, you might decide you want to keep educational or something like that, and you should speak up in the very beginning of the negotiation and say, this is what I want to do and see if they'll allow that. Well, one thing to, to you know, one of the things to bear in mind is, can can the distributor or the sales agent really exploit the rights? You know, I, I mean, uh, basically, there are a lot of companies that are not going to do DVDs, and I know I know it's like a dying breed in many ways. Yes, but right. you know, the idea is if you're not going to handle the DVDs, can you know can can we have it? You know, we'll try to coordinate. You know, the timing, and and we're going to talk about the issue of windows, I guess, in a moment, uh, and the whole idea of it, and how how wild and vast it has become. In fact, let me as well handle it now. I mean, the idea of the window is what it used to be was relatively straightforward. You'd have theatrical, and then you'd have your pay-per-view, and then you'd have your You'd have your pay cable, your HBOs, and your Showtimes, and then your basic, like your USAs and TBSs, and um, and you you know here and abroad, and you work your way through it. But now it's gotten really so all the various you know these variations, like you know uh, used to be that. Um, with the idea of VOD, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to do theatrical first and then VOD because our distributor is not going to, you know, uh, is not going to want to distribute the film in theaters if you get a theatrical release. If it's if you can also see it, you know, basically day and date on cable, right? I mean, on VOD, um, right. And you know, in, in certain cases, they just won't do the deal. And then there are other distributors that are a little more enlightened. And they look at it as, you know, the theatrical is really more for promotion, you know, uh, for, for VOD and other rights, exploitation right. of the rights. So, right. in fact, frequently, uh, you know, we'll get a situation, especially with a documentary, it's like, you want a theatrical release, <laughs> we're not going to give you an advance. <laughs> I mean, in an ideal world, you'd be able to get both. Yes, but, but not you know, not today, right? Yeah, you know, basically, um, and then the question you have to look at is, does this distributor actually theatrically release films? Like, it used to be everybody did that, but now 
theatrical has become, you know, it, it's kind of a lost leader at times. You know, it's like it's a way of getting the word out about your project because if you don't, how are you going to promote your project? You know, right. Yeah. And so, you know, so sometimes you have to go through that process, and sometimes it means, you know, paying for the for the theater and forewalling it, or or basically having a limited, you know, theatrical release in in you know in major cities or a certain number of them. I mean, this is all part and parcel, and and whether or not you're the com- a lot of companies you deal with, you know, uh, uh, really do not do much theatrical unless it's like specialty limited. Uh, theatrical. Um, and I'm not talking about you know a thousand or two thousand theaters. I'm just talking about really just doing it in maybe a dozen or two dozen theaters and how it gets rolled out. So you have to kind of again talk to whoever had a theatrical release with this particular distributor. You know maybe with comparable subject matter, like you wouldn't ask a documentarian for for fiction film. But again, regardless of the film, you can listen to their experience. It should, can help you to some extent. Yes, that's a very important thing. That's the first thing filmmakers should do. They have to get some references about the company before they even take these uh, appointment and sit down and start talking. They have to know who they're dealing with. Well, Robert, you've been so good to us. Thank you for your kindness. This is a lot of good information for filmmakers. I know. Eventually, you know, you know, I know what people are always looking for, like kind of a checklist of 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 uh of topics you know like term and territory and all that i mean usually uh-huh. there there are a lot of materials that you know do address that and that's something i do discuss with clients as i said just the territory whether it's worldwide or it's or or you're dividing it up accordingly and then you know do you do you go to an educational distributor do you should some of them are going to say well if we're going to take the education we want consumer rights you know the person the person who does that and again you know I, I just mentioned the word windows and i kind of started out on it but again people have to be very mindful of um of being able to respect holdbacks like i had a client who made a deal for netflix and then didn't tell me <laughs> and and then we're going to do a deal with um HBO, and they said, oh, you have Netflix, we're not interested. Well, we'll give you for a lower licensing fee. No, we're not interested. It's just their competition, Netflix and HBO. Oh, of course, Showtime. they should have gone to HBO first, and they didn't do that, right? Yeah, so... Oh, Robert, you see everything. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 there are more markets, and there are more revenue streams, which is a good thing. Although I, I always tell people we've kind of traded our DVD dollars for digital pennies. Digital pennies, oh, that is so true, right? And and you know the I you know it's like well how do you do well? Well, make projects for lower budgets, <laughs> or be able to see you know, there's a marketplace for it, you know, and you spend enough money to justify it, and that's why horror is such a big genre because it's made on a budget and and it's not cast dependent and a lot of different things. So it's not uh, cast dependent. That's a, that's true. All right, mm-hmm. Robert. Well, tell us how people can find you. Your uh, email and your telephone number, please. Yeah. The well, the um, email is um, R L S is in Robert Louis Siegel E N T L A W at AOL dot com and R L S E N T L A W at AOL dot com and the phone number, you know, basically it's two one two six zero five 